Hey everybody, welcome to episode 96 of the Master Class. My name is Cam and I'm joined by my good friend, Dave. What's cracking? Hey. Well, we've been together for a little while already tonight. Uh, yeah, we have. <laughs> we, uh, we hung out for a bit. We recorded episode three of Dad College. Yes. Took a little break and now we're back at it with this fine artisanally crafted episode of the masterclass 96 yeah yes we want to know what you want us to do for the 100th episode seriously please tell us we've been thinking about it for like 12 episodes well i say that i mentioned (laughs) i mentioned we should think about it back then and i have yet to come up with the killer idea i haven't either yeah so if you have any uh Fun, silly, stupid, or dangerous ideas that we should do for episode 100. We'd really like you to let us know because it could be special. And it could be because of you that it's special. That's right. So let us know. How can they let us know? They can let us know by email at hello at supermegacorp.net. And we request that for the subject line you put... Episode 100 extravaganza in all caps with six exclamation points. Please. Because that will get us, that will get our attention. Yeah, I'll be super excited. And we will take your... I will fist pump with great... <laughs> Fervor. Yes, thank you. That's a fancy word that I couldn't come up with. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter. Cam is at Cam Brennan. Me, Dave. I'm at David J. Hogue. Or, I think those are probably those are probably the three main ways. Mm-hmm. You can also go to patreon.com slash, I don't know what the slash is. Take, take a wild guess, Dave. <laughs> Super Megacorp. Oh, folks. <laughs> yeah, I just work with such a professional. <laughs> so, yeah, Patreon is a place where you can... Uh, Support us with the almighty dollar. Not that we worship it. I was going to say, is that the word you want to use on a podcast like this? <laughs> almighty, we, almighty tends to be reserved for one no, I know, thing. I know. Yes. Almighty Jesus. Almighty God. Um, anyway, <laughs> tongue in cheek, almighty yes. dollar. But we'd appreciate it. It would help us. With the cost of doing the podcast, don't feel obligated. But if it's something that you feel like you'd like to do, we'd certainly love to have you on board. Yeah, because you get cool things. You do get cool things. So Fancy membership certificate. A place on the members wall of our website. You can join our private Slack where we share new things. Like I shared a few potential changes to Slack that only they know about yes uh interviews polls things like that and then there's even there's even other options higher up the monthly subscription ladder including i do believe i haven't checked this one in a while because it's expensive (laughs) monthly video hangouts with us oh really yeah read you on the show maybe Mm. that'd be crazy Yes, so... Fun rewards in return for your generous support. We'd appreciate that. 
You can also support us by telling your friends about us, by rating us on iTunes. Or Google Play. Or Google Play. Or on YouTube. Or on YouTube. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. But we just appreciate you joining us for Masterclass. You know what would make me the happiest? What would make me the happiest? Well, the second happiest would be Patreon supporters, because that's just really cool. That, That Patreon even exists, and that's even an option. So that we don't have to run ads mm-hmm. like genuinely makes me happy because I hate when podcasts are interrupted with ads. I hate when church services are interrupted to do stupid announcements, right? Like in between the music and the sermon is the worst spot to do announcements. I don't know why everyone does it there, but it's yeah, but- terrible. <laughs> if you could pick the, the only other worst way to do it would be to interrupt the sermon or interrupt one of the songs, but doing it, it's just, I, I total pet peeve of mine. So, Patreon, really cool, because we don't have to do that here. Uh, but my most, the thing that would make me the most happy is feedback. I would agree. I, that would be far and away above because shooting we, us an email. Yeah, we just want to know who you are, what you're up to, and what, how we can get to know you, how we can learn from you, how we can converse with you, and how we can make this show better. Like, we've been at it for 96 episodes now. That doesn't mean that this is the best podcast on the planet. <laughs> We tend to think it's pretty good, but we won't know how to make it better for you guys if you don't let us know. And I refuse to believe that it's so perfect that there's no way we can make it better. We can make it better. Right. Maybe that's me talking less. I don't know. <laughs> but I just, you know, and I, I want to meet, meet new people. I want this to be an avenue for us to have meaningful conversations about God and the Bible and American culture and, or heck, cultures outside of America. Tell us about them. We've been around the world in a few places, but that by no means makes us oh, no. aware of our American tendencies, which tend to be pretty terrible when it comes to thinking Christianity is an American religion. Yeah. So all of that to say, say hi. We'd like to meet you. Absolutely. And if we already know you, we'd like to hear from you. Don't be a stranger. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, Dave, before we get to like a really, really sad part of Matthew? (laughs) Uh, No, I think I'm good. Okay. Would you like me to read? Yeah, why not? Let's do it. Did you have anything else? No, I was trying to think if I did, but nothing is coming. (gasps) Yes, I have been remiss. Oh, no. I have been remiss in not saying... That we have a new Patreon supporter. Oh. Who happens to be my youngest sister and <laughs> previous guest on this show, Rachel. And it's been like three episodes, and I keep forgetting to say, Hey, Rachel, thank you so much. Welcome to the club. Or, sorry, welcome to the corporation. Your, na- <laughs> your name tag's down in HR. We need to have her back on the show again. Yeah, it'll happen. Yeah. It will. What makes me even worse as a brother? She was here last week and wasn't on the show. Oh, no. Which, on a night we recorded? Yeah. Yeah. But she was hanging out with Meredith and a bunch of their girlfriends. She'd rather do that. At like a LuLaRoe party where they sell funny pants and skirts. <laughs> um, but yes, Rachel has generously joined the corporation and we are happy to have you on board and we thank you so much. Yep. All right, 
So we're at Matthew 26, verse 57 through 68. Here we go. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered, and Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two forward, and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you, the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe and said, He has uttered blasphemy. When further witnesses, What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered. He deserved death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? All right. There's a lot. Here. I have a few stupid jokes that I'm sure I'll throw in. <laughs> okay, I have a bit of a tangent. Sure. Just right off the bat. Well, let's that has, just go down that road. Okay. So, uh, truly, I, I'm cu- curious about this and what your thought is. Did you ever see the Passion of uh, the Passion of the Christ, the movie? No, I own it, but I think it's it. I think it's still in its Saran Wrap DVD case. Hmm. Okay. I just could never bring myself to watch it. I. It, it, I saw, I, I believe I see, I saw it once and only once. I know I've seen it, but I think it's only once. I and knew a guy who took a girl on a date to go see it oh, in the movie nice. theater. <laughs> I think it was their only date. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it, uh, so, so as I read, they spit in his face and struck him and slapped him. Um, I was just reminded of the scenes leading up to the crucifixion in that movie. And I had seen other depictions of Jesus' life and leading up to the crucifixion. And that one, I'm, I'm, I'm not a huge proponent of the movie. I think it was a good, solid movie. There was a little thing, few things that were odd to me that I didn't agree with. But, uh, yeah, it, it was truly just a wrenching uh, kind of experience for me. Not so much the crucifixion, but leading up to it, the way it was depicted in that movie. So, I don't know. Just came to my mind as as we were reading that. And again, I'm not a huge advocate of, oh, you got to go see it. But uh, I felt like it was out of all that, you know, you see all these movies of the crucifixion. Not all these movies. Somebody that went to church saw movies of, of Jesus' crucifixion, depictions of that on film. You know, he'd, they'd put like the thorn of crowns on him and there'd be like a trickle of blood down his left temple and a few spots around the crown of his head. But head wounds bleed profusely. Yes. And they there's depict, a lot of blood. They depict that a little. It was one of the more 
more graphic um, depictions of that, that even before going to the crucifixion of having the, the thorn of the crown of thorns and then being struck and that sort of thing. That's just like, that is like the worst thing to do to anybody. That whole, Hey, who hit you? Well, we'll get to that part because I have snarky response for that person who asked that question because <laughs> they're not as smart as I think they are. Mm, they're probably in hell now. Possibly. <laughs> who knows? Possibly in heaven because Jesus can. Yeah. God's what a, a jerk, God. right? Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Jesus is the worst. That's what it was. Yeah. All right. So the people that grabbed Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And they had the scribes and the elders in this little, you know, room, probably some big fancy room in the temple. Um, because it says that Peter followed him up until the, uh, some part of the courtyard or something. Anyways, Peter had to stop. Yeah, next verse. Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end, which is, you know, dun, 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 foreshadowing. And the chief priests were there seeking false testimony against Jesus um, that they might put him to death. So they're literally looking for any reason. Just someone say something that can help us kill this guy, which is, um, I don't know, a witch hunt? Yeah. Uh, them trying, they're, they're trying to find a way to justify what they've already determined they're going to do. And I've watched enough. Um, TV shows that involve, you know, government conspiracies and that sort of stuff that this sort of stuff, it's like, oh yeah, that's, you know, it's the CIA or it's the NSA or it's the, the KGB or it's the mafia or, you know, whoever they've already decided what terrible, awful, evil thing they're going to do. And they're looking for one thing to justify doing it. And they want, you know, the means to justify the end. And so they have to find a way to make that happen. And you know, it's just one of those things that, like, when you read it or see it, you're like, oh, that's just terrible and rotten and, you know, the worst, especially when it's about killing someone. But if you kind of, like, replace killing someone with something a lot less terrible that's still wrong, how often do you or I look for anything to justify something that we want to do that we know isn't right. May not be murder, but, you know, it may be uh, looking at porn or drinking too much or being a control freak or um, wanting, uh, you know, to be uh, rich or what, whatever the, you know, bad thing is that isn't murder. Mm-hmm. And I realize sin is sin. However, this side of heaven, murder's real bad. Yeah. Now, those other things I listed, bad as well. But those are much more everyday representations of this mentality, right? Of what can I do? What can I find? What can I uh, cover up and do in secret so that the end that I want is justified in my mind? And like, what, what? screwy games we play with ourselves that this is okay. And not like that it's an okay thing that they did, but that they think that they have gotten to the point where this is 
okay for them in their brains to do. Mm-hmm. You know, or for me to do, or for you to do, or for the you know our listeners to do. Yeah, I, is it tonight? Is 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 as we were reading this? I really started to wonder what is their motivation? Like, why do they care? Real question or rhetorical? No real question. Like, why do they care? Like, I think they're, I think they're scared because I feel, I, I think that they see in him what they want other people to see in them. And they know that they can't match him because of who he is and who they are. Like, I genuinely think part of them acknowledged that there was something completely different and special about him. And he he was an absolute threat to the power and control they had in the place in society they had. And so I'm sure some of them, maybe not the ones in this room, realized who he was, you know, and changed their lives. But these guys were like, it's either you or me, buddy, and it's not going to be you. You are not taking away what I have. And, and so in that, I guess there was like this. Why can they not see that? Like, wouldn't you, you know, it, so. Well, I think it's the same reason why the disciples couldn't see it. And they were the good guys and with him all the time. And they still had no idea what was going on. Like, I think it, what Jesus was was so fundamentally different than what anyone expected. Like, if you look back at some of, you know, like the Maccabean Revolution um, and, you know, what the prophets said, like, yeah, Jesus fulfilled an insane amount of prophecies, but not one of them did he do in a way that any of them would have predicted. Like, Jesus is always kind of, like, bait and switch is a bad thing, right? Right. Here's something good, and I'm going to give you something bad. Jesus was like, here's the thing I'm going to do. Guess what? I'm going to do it this way. And I mean, to the point that no one knows. Like he was so fundamentally out of left field as far as they were concerned. That there's no way he could have been the Messiah because he wasn't, you know, a scribe or a high priest. He was from Nazareth. What good thing can come from there? Mm -hmm. He went into Samaria. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and uh, lepers. Like he did all of the things that a good religious person would never do. He healed people on the Sabbath. So for people that are so entrenched in, this is the only way you can be a Jew or a godly person. And then to have that mixed in with clearly control and power issues. I would have been shocked if any of them had gone, oh, wait a minute. No, this guy's the real deal. Like their actions to me aren't surprising insofar as they were like, clearly this guy's blaspheming. Like he is now the fact that they had to secretly take him away and justify in air quotes, their actions means that they were afraid of, doing it in public, which, you know, lends itself to some serious question asking, I think. But I, mean, I genuinely think they were so 
unwilling and so close-minded and so narrow in their belief that in their minds, there's no way this is how God would do it. And it's sad, but I feel like there, I mean, people like that exist today. A lot of people do. A lot of people are so narrow-minded and so focused on this is the only possible outcome or only possible way you do things that anyone else that does it differently is just crazy pants. So, so basically you, you got to the point that I was in a roundabout way, right? <laughs> well, no, 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 I not, not roundabout at all. I think you very much arrived at the whole. Um, so uh, that was kind of my, my question was going to be, so are we doing this today? Absolutely. Yes, I think we are doing this today. Yeah. I think when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be like, um, uh, what? I don't think it's going to happen any way that we remotely expected to. Oh, I don't either. No, yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think it's, I, I just don't think we can know. I don't think he wants us to know. I think it'll reveal his. I bet he throws a wicked surprise birthday party. <laughs> and it's not December 25th, but. Well, for other people, I'm saying. I know. <laughs> okay, so, <laughs> so, uh, uh, God, that's my the, the train of thought here of the question that I wanted to ask. Um, so for us today, what is it that we need to do to be more present to what God is doing and, um, where what would you say that do you, do you feel like you have a sense of maybe some of the things that we are my oh gosh I don't I don't even know if that's how I want to say that but well I'll just say because that's what's on my mind that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing I mean are there things that you think that we're focused on that we shouldn't be focused on absolutely and I'm I mean it's not like I'm accusing people I know what I'm focused on money security comfort safety, you know, and like rarely do I go, hmm, I should take my anxiety before the Lord about these things and pray about it. I'm like, no, how am I going to fix it? I know I'm going to pick up a second job. <laughs> That's how I'm going to solve my anxiety about money is I'm going to work more. Uh, instead of going to God, like, okay, clearly I'm anxious about this. How would, you know, how would you want me to approach this? What, what, what can you teach me about reliance on you? And, and I don't do that. And I'm just like, screw it. I'm just going to get a second job. Cause that's the, it's, it's easier to do that. I mean, it's more work and it's more time away from home, but it's a guaranteed result. I will get more money. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily learning to be content with what I have, which is plenty. And it's not necessarily about choosing to live on less, even though we are trying to stick to a budget to, you know, ensure that we are saving more money than we have been. But those things are hard and it takes discipline and it takes teamwork. 
And so, I mean, yeah, I think you know, we focus on money, we focus on comfort, we focus on fitting in, we focus on, you know, large part of, you know, the population, uh, our politics and our religion being so intertwined that we can't tell one from the other. And I just, like, I guarantee you when God looks at the state of Christianity in America, he's probably a little bit heartbroken. Not because everyone is doing it wrong. There are plenty of Christians and plenty of churches in this country that are doing their best to be the kingdom to those in their community. But I think there are enough of us that are so backwards and so narrow-minded and so focused on this is the only way you can be a Christian and so focused on doing it this one specific way that there's not even an opportunity for those people to see that, that God is big enough and loves diversity enough to allow for other ways to do it, right? If you look at the world we live in, everything is not monochrome, right? We live in a world ecologically and biologically and geologically and plantologically and all of that stuff. Diversity is everywhere in nature. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many thousands of species of animals and plants and different biospheres Deserts and uh, glaciers and Great Barrier Reef and jungles and forest and like high plains and oceans and volcanoes and ma- like it's crazy the amount of variety in this world. Oh yeah, it's insane. And then you're like, oh, stars and other planets too. Why not? And yet. we're so consumed with our way being the right way and being the only way. It's like that. And if you look at Jesus, that's not at all how he lived. His life was full of diverse people, Jews and Gentiles and prostitutes and tax collectors and scribes and elders. Like he was in the thick of everything. He went to Samaria and talked to a woman at the well. No other rabbi would ever have done that. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't an option for them. They didn't even see it as something that could be done. You simply didn't go there and didn't talk to those people. It was not what a good Jew did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even, it never would have crossed their minds. Yeah. He does it. I'm getting excited, Dave. <laughs> so I know... Uh, I've had a couple of thoughts um, since you've you've been talking. Um, one, I know I've mentioned the insanity of God and the insanity of obedience. There's a couple of books that we've been listening to. But in the insanity of obedience, one of the things that he talks about is he basically equates, could you imagine a person, a black person in the inner city setting up a church in white suburban America as their mission field. (laughs) Can I imagine it? I can imagine it. Yeah, but I'd love to see it. But it was like, I mean, he just was like, I mean, to me, that was like just this concrete example of 
whoa, that doesn't happen. So you want, you know, you want to talk about what Jesus' next coming is going to look like. You see a black inner city dude starting a church in white suburbia. That might be Jesus. Truly suffering for Jesus there. <laughs> um, oh, someone needs to come do that. Someone from KCK, come to Gardner. Yeah, and I mean, it was truly just like, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it, it, like it was truly like, and he was referring to uh, the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this term that for us today has this completely... It's totally watered down. Watered and- down. But he says, when we're talking Good Samaritan... Basically, his, his example was an inner city, somebody, a, a, a black American living in the inner city. Besides, my mission field is white suburban America. And just, just even saying that, the absurdity of that. But it, it, it just, it. Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it's only absurd insofar as white people would be really uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. I am no expert on inner city life. Mm-hmm. However, I have enough experience with inner city life to know it's a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the privilege of growing up in an upper middle class suburban area, good education, safe, you know, all the privileges that come with being an upper middle class white guy. Never really wanted for anything, got to go on vacations, had nice things, had people that, you know, were very generous towards me. Um, Got a really good education, had the opportunity to pretty much go where I wanted for college, not have to pay for it myself. Like all of those incredible privileges. But I also had the privilege of going to church in the city and then later on in the inner city and got to spend two summers interning in college, spending every day in the inner city with the people that call that place home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a, as a college kid, I was, you know, immature and, you know, full of myself. So, you know, I can handle it. And, and it was fine. Like I never felt threatened or anything. And I never felt out of place. Cause I think it was just too naive to realize that like, <laughs> they don't look at you and see a friend or someone that's like them. They look at you and see a rich white kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, it's just, it is completely different how life works. Now people are people. And I got the same problems regardless of where you live or how much money you have, but the uphill battle you face as a person living in the inner city, it's just astronomically different. Your options are different. Like it's, and that's why, like you said that, and I was like, I want that to happen because it would be an absolute shock to a crazy majority of people in the suburbs if that happened. And a lot of people, especially where we live, wouldn't like it because those type of people don't belong here. But man, could I get behind that? Oh, absolutely. 
but yeah, so that's that's on the level of the of the Good Samaritan, and uh, my second thought thought is actually in line of of what you were talking about here, and uh, there's a website called globalrichlist.com. So G L O B A L R I C H L I S T dot com. And this is a place that you can go and enter how much you make in a year. And it will tell you what percentage you are in terms of the richest people in the world by income. And if you scroll down, it'll compare you to what other people around the world make in an hour, uh, what it would take, the, how many years it would take for them to make the, what you make in a, in a single year, how long it takes you to buy a can of Coke versus how long it takes them to take a can of Coke. And I will just tell you, if you're in America and you make any kind of normal living, you're going to be incredibly humbled by this. Yeah, and now I feel bad for complaining about money. <laughs> and um it, it it just is I it, you know, it another example or or thing that is, has stood out to me lately is the whole concept of uh giving 10% and tithing 10%. Um, because you know the, the we, we, it the world is so big and there's so many people that it's easy just to kind of get lost in the numbers. And I know ten percent has kind of been uh, Old Testament talks about a, a tithe that's ten percent, and that even today is kind of the um standard a lot of churches hold in terms of giving 10% of your income and and I can't remember where I heard this but it's kind of the you know the concept of you know you're on a desert island with another person and you manage to come into you know a pig and some food and you and this other person on the island are absolutely starving and in that, you give that person 10% because that's all, all you're obligated to give that person in terms of a biblical you know, mandate is 10%. Well, most of us would just think that's absurd. You know, we would... Um, no, clearly we'd kill the other person and keep the whole pick to ourselves. <laughs> well, I, yes. Multiple thoughts come to my mind on that one, but I won't share. Uh, but we read in, in the book of Acts of, you know, everybody having everything in common and sharing. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to propagate communism. Or <laughs> communal, Your brain went there, too. That's where mine went. Communal living or anything like that. But uh, it's just very interesting. And, and I, you know, as I, some words are coming out of my mouth at this point. I'm very much talking to myself of just how much stuff I have and, you know, what is God's expectation of me um, in terms of sharing with others? And do I really view my stuff as my stuff or do I view 
the things that are in my immediate control as things that God has given me temporary influence over, and ultimately they're they're His things. Um. So yeah, um, as Christians in America, I think. I just, I have to believe that all of us are off. <laughs> and we can't I, all be wrong, Dave. And I don't, and I, and even as, as, as I'm saying this, I can't, I'm still wrestling with this. I'm still wrestling with my faith. I'm still wrestling with what is God expecting of me? What is, what is my role in all this? Um, because we do have so much. And there's even this like part of me that's like, well, we serve. God, the creator of the universe. I mean, he can provide for those people easier than I can, you know, people that don't have and that, and yet he hasn't. And so my internal kind of dialogue and questioning and and even conversations with my wife is what is our obligation? What is our responsibility in that? Because again, if it was me and one other person on a deserted island, and I had stuff, I probably would not stop at 10%. I'd probably sp- split it evenly. But when uh-huh. we get start looking at the world as a whole, it's very easy to start saying, these are this is my stuff. And not really... My argument for defending why that's my stuff breaks down pretty quickly. <laughs> so... Not totally where I expected to go with this particular piece of scripture. Yeah. That's... But we, we tend to do that. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. So some people come in they say, he said he's able to destroy the temple of God, rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. Okay. I mean, I guess I guess at this point he's totally in on what's going to happen, and I think uh, there's something. This reminds me of Dallas Willard, um, and it's I believe it's a story from the book with John Ortberg that was the talk at the conferences. Um, oh my gosh, living in Christ's presence. Yes, I think that's correct. Is that it? Anyways, it's really good. I can't believe I can't remember that. I'm so mad at myself. Living in Christ's presence, yeah. Okay, good. And uh, John is telling a story that he says is one of his favorite stories about Dallas Willard, uh, who was a philosophy professor uh, at University of Southern California, you know, that hotbed of Christianity. <laughs> and, um, and Dallas is, was, here, um, incredibly intelligent. The dude is just like real smart. And apparently one day in class, a uh, a student was trying to put him in his, put Dallas in his place, telling him, you know, all these reasons why he was wrong. And according to Dallas, him and most of the class knew that this kid was just not smart and didn't realize <laughs> what was going on. And then after the kid was done, Dallas said, okay, I think that's a good place to end class today. And one of his students came out to him after the class and was like, 
Professor Willard. You knew he was wrong. You could have easily put him in his place. Why, why did you just end class? And he said that he was practicing the discipline of not having to have the last word. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what Jesus is doing here. Absolutely. He's just saying, you know what? I don't, need, I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to say anything because I know, what's go- you know, I know what the end outcome of this is. There's no, there's no good that can come from me defending myself here. And the only ultimate good that needs to happen, you know, requires me to not have the last word, even though ultimately he will in this instance, (laughs) in this conversation, he won't. Um, And I just think that takes an incredible amount of character and discipline and realizing that it's not about you even though he's being slandered, even though he's being accused wrongly, even though he was kidnapped, even though he's about to be beaten and tortured and murdered, he still has the ability to do what's right in the face of all of that. And that's it's pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I, if I've ever really mentioned it here before. Uh, have I mentioned Jesus Christ Superstar? Yeah. Oh, I have. Okay. This, and it's not exactly what's going on here, uh, because it's it's not so much the council and the high priest, but it's uh Jesus before uh Pontius Pilate, and. In that particular exchange, um, Pontius Pilate is basically telling him that your fate is in my hands. And Jesus very, you know, nonchalantly (laughs) in an Andrew Lloyd Webber way, just basically responds to him and says... You have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. And so in addition to practicing not having that last word, I think there's just this sense of, because I do think that's true. I really do. Uh, He even refers to, he even, the line is, an amazing thing, this silent king. Um, There's just this trust that Jesus has in the Father of, regardless of what happens, regardless of, of, of my fate, regardless of the outcome. I know you know who I am, and I know you, that you are going to take care of me. And that's even with uh, what we saw in the Garden of Gethsemane and just the take the cup from me of, um, you know, there was this sort of like private behind-the-scenes struggle but then in the moment of whether it be the high priest or Pontius Pilate or whoever, uh, Jesus is very sure of who his father is and um, what his fate is and that God is not going to allow anything to happen to him that isn't of him, isn't glorifying of God and isn't of God's will. And 
kind of even back to our earlier discussion and all of this, I think that's one of the things that we miss out on is that when bad things happen, things that happen to us that are not ideal, things that we wish we could completely avoid, God can absolutely use for his glory and are probably those moments when we are most um, drawn to him and dependent on him and trust him because we have no other option. Uh, we're truly in our at the end of our rope, which um, I, I think is going on here with Jesus before his his crucifixion of just he is at the end of his rope, but yet he is completely trusting of God and um, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as it says in Philippians two. Um. Very, very difficult standard for us to live up to. Uh, but at the same time, Jesus said, be perfect as I am perfect. And the farther I get along in my walk, the more I'm like, I don't think these are just words that he uttered. I think there is this divine calling, this eternal standard that we're called to that we may not reach in this life, but we need to strive for in this life that we will see. Um, in the future to come. And like any good leader, he, Jesus doesn't ask anything of us that he isn't willing to do. Maybe even he does. Well, he did do more than, than he asked of any of us. So, um, and again, just last thought here of just seeing his humanity in all of this. You know, he doesn't behave in the way that he could as God but embraces being the son of man and embraces his flesh and um, deals with struggles and tribulations and just heartache that we can't even imagine. Yeah. So next uh, he says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you were the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes, seems like an overreaction, and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they said, He deserves death. <coughs> I, it just seems like it escalated real quick there. <laughs> like this high priest dude, Caiaphas, needs to take a Xanax or something. He's pretty high strung. Yes. Um and I, I I can't remember where it is exactly, but um elsewhere in scripture it refers to Caiaphas and being the high priest and kind of this acknowledgement of he's he was appointed for this position at this time and this place and just even his acknowledgement of um Everything that is to happen has kind of been revealed to him through the Holy Spirit. It's not uh, his own uh, doing. Uh, the tearing of the clothes we see throughout Scripture. And it's a Jewish kind of outward sign of mourning, an outward sign of, I don't agree. I'm, you know, kind of this, I'm, as I, as I separate the fibers of the clothing that I'm wearing, I'm separating myself um, from this situation. And so 
while scripture indicates that Caiaphas was the person to be here at this point, um, when it comes down to this moment, he is very much separating himself. So you think he has remorse? Uh, what, let's see, what does he have remorse? Like when he tears the robes and says like, all right, it's blasphemy. What should we do with him? Do you think that's his way of like, do you think he's trying to get Jesus to defend himself or do you think he's out to kill this guy? I'm going to lead towards it, it is not remorse. Okay. Then I don't think I understand the tearing of the robes then. It's like tearing the robes is your way of like removing yourself from the situation. Doesn't that mean like you don't want to be there and you don't want to do what you're about to do? Or am I misunderstanding what you're saying? Uh, I think he is. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I guess I, for me, it's, it is not remorse. Um, but more of a, and then the word is just not coming to me. And that's why I'm, I'm hesitating here a little bit of, um, I don't know. Indifference? No, it's not indifference. Sorry, I'm failing here. I'm not, uh, the word is escaping me in terms of what it is that I want to say. Well, we can just move on then. If it comes back to you, we can talk about it next time. <laughs> they answered him, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ. Who is it that struck you? Okay, these are chief priests, elders, and scribes, right? Mm-hmm. They know the scriptures better than anybody. Yeah. Do they not understand that prophets talk about <laughs> things that have yet to happen? Well, that goes to back to my earlier question of just, why do they not get this? Like, no. Why do they not look at him and go? And it's not even about that. He's saying, prophesy who did something that already well, happened. That's, true. that's not that's, prophesying. Yeah, that's I, stating I, 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 fact. That's <laughs> true. It should be prophesy who's about to hit you. Yes. Yes, yes. And I hate to nitpick up, but it's just like, are you kidding me? <sighs> yes. So sad. So anyways. We're going to leave it there on that really sad All right. phrase. We'll move on next week to Peter denying Jesus, which is also sad. <sighs> Poor Peter. And then it just gets like we go downhill real hard here for a little while. Mm-hmm. Like real bad. But then there's, there's a little uptick at the end of Matthew. <laughs> so just bear with us. We'll get to the end of the story. At Man, some point. it might be in the the end of 2017 before we finish the. It will not be that long. <laughs> will not be that long. No. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 96. Say goodbye, Dave. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>